This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before you mash that fast forward button to move to the beginning of today's episode, I'd like to quickly tell you about some ways you can support the show and everything that I'm doing right now. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Again, just go on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. It's incredibly important with the way iTunes works. So if you have a second, please leave a rating and or review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts, you can check out chasethomaspodcast.com. That is on my previous episode, a link to my newsletter, and all my articles that I've written. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase double underscore Thomas. You can like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer, or you can just tell a friend you found this independent sports podcast that they should check out too. Thank you for listening. You're all the best. And I think we've reached the point in this intro where my uncle Darren can play me in. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. We're recording this early on a Tuesday, and my guest today is Field Yates of ESPN, the Fantasy Focus podcast, and. Field, good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Chase. I appreciate you making some time for me today. Okay, I want to start. Um, I've been going back and forth. We still have a couple more weeks till fantasy gets started. Um, I ha- I've done my own league for years and years now, and I've gone back and forth if I want to go through it again. I think the commissioner aspect is wearing on me. I'm 27 now. I've been doing this like over a decade. And like managing everybody else and making sure people are doing everything they need to do and everyone shows up for the draft and the text messages back and forth, the emails of like, oh, I can do this time. It's the bigger the league, the more difficult it is to schedule a draft that everybody can make. Um, I thought smartphones would fix this because you can draft from your phone and just being able to walk around. And if you do have other plans, you can still do that. But um, I'm exhausted. I don't know if I can do this another 10 years field. Well, I'd say this, the reality for uh, managing uh, or handling commissioner duties in a fantasy league is two things. The draft is the hardest thing to orchestrate because at the end of August, which is typically when drafts are, oh, by the way, is like one of the final few weekends that people, at least geographically, can enjoy the summer month, right? I live in New England. I don't have, you know, 30 weeks of sunshine during the year. So my August <laughs> right. mat weekends and August weeknights, frankly, matter. They really do. Second of all, it's not just setting up the draft. It's also the getting people to send along complaints, rules, objections that they would like to have to improve the league, but not 
only when they bother them. Like it's not when, Hey, some rule change impacts a person's team and they want to, you know, they want to vent their frustration to you. It's Hey, in the six months between the fantasy season concluding and draft season beginning, send along a few pieces of useful information and insight that can help make our league better. It's a labor of love being a commissioner is my suggestion is if you can try to find a cohort who might help, maybe not necessarily in title, but at least in support co-commission your league. That's a good idea. It's just finding someone I can trust. It's uh, I need my consigliere. That's, that's what I need. Um, That's what it's all about. I fully believe that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I do think though, with fantasy football, my favorite thing has always been the draft. I think that's the most exciting thing. Um, It's always fun to see who's going to draft Aaron Rodgers in the first round. So I can already uh, X them out of ever winning the title that year. Um, Has that ever happened? Anyone drafting Aaron Rodgers in the first round? Because I feel like every single year I've done this, someone's done it and they've always been bad come regular season time. So has someone done it and then won a championship yes. or someone done it, period? Um, I'm sure I, I would be floored. If I don't believe it, man. Anywhere. I don't think it has. I think it's a terrible it, strategy. It, People get antsy well, it, about quarterbacks and they're like, oh, Aaron Rodgers still sitting there. Got to do it. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, sure. It's happened. I would imagine there have been leagues where Aaron Rodgers has gone first or in the first round, I should say, and people have won. And I'm not just talking about, you know, six point passing leagues or two quarterback leagues, but, um, you know, the reality is it's an important rule. And I've done a piece that uh, we continue to trot out on ESPN, various platforms, because it, it's evergreen in nature. It's the nine rules to fantasy football yes. drafting, nine of the rules, not the only nine rules. And certainly you can make the list 20 rules. You can make it three rules. You can make it a couple of cliff note versions, to, uh, cliff notes to follow during your draft. But I would just say this. Generally speaking, one of the most important things to remember is to be patient on quarterback. I tend to latch onto a quarterback each year that is being drafted way too low or going way too low in drafts. And you're thinking to yourself, why is that player going that low? And there often isn't a reason this year. My quarterback example is Philip rivers. He's going 21st overall, Hmm. 21st overall amongst quarterbacks. He is as you know, he's he's one of the most prolific players ever. I mean, he basically rolls out of bed and throws for 4,000 yards and 28 passing touchdowns. So uh, my point is this, there's so much depth at quarterback. People who play fantasy football think that it is an exercise in football. It is not necessarily, it it is related to football, no doubt about that. But fantasy football is a game of projection. And in some ways, I'm not trying to, you know, sound like, um, you know, a professor of mine from college, but it has some econ principles, right? Supply Mm -hmm. and demand tells you that when there's a lot of one thing and not so much of the other thing, in a lot of cases, the less prevalent thing has more value. There are a lot of really good quarterbacks. There aren't that many good running backs. So you should know that when you're drafting, you should prioritize landing a player like Todd Gurley or Le'Veon Bell or David Johnson over landing a player like Aaron Rodgers. That's fair. I've always had the strategy, and you can tell me if this is a bad thing, is I always go running back with my first two picks no matter what. But I think the last couple of years, it's kind of screwed me with receivers because a lot of people take receivers in the first round, and then I'm kind of, I'm never satisfied with what I end up with at that spot, but I love my two running backs. There's a strategy called zero RB strategy, and it's basically you load up on wide receivers early, wide receivers and pass catchers, and you're willing to be patient on running backs. Mm-hmm. It probably works better in PTR scoring because there are backs like Theo yeah. Riddick, Duke Johnson, James White, who are going to have enough pass catching acumen over the course of the season that they may not be ideal starters, but you can work with it. 
Mm-hmm. There's also the strategy you're talking about, which is just go running back, running back, maybe even three straight running backs to begin a draft. Yep. The number one rule that I mentioned, fantasy football drafting, and again, this piece is all over my Twitter feed or yep. ESPN.com, is this. Draft based on value. If I'm sitting at the 10th pick in my draft this year, and Antonio Brown is available at pick 10, absent Todd Gurley or Le'Veon Bell, also for you know, reasons that we have that would make no sense, mm-hmm. following, following to pick 10, I am taking Antonio Brown. Okay. That's just how it goes. You need to draft for value and you need mm-hmm. to play the board. If, like I said, we are largely um, patient with quarterbacks amongst the collective staff here uh, at ESPN. Now, let's say I'm playing in a league, a 10-team league, and Aaron Rodgers is available at the back end of the fifth round somewhere between picks 47 and 49. Yeah, I'm taking Aaron Rodgers there. I'm okay with it. Okay. I'm just saying, on average, I don't want to be the guy that takes Aaron Rodgers 23rd overall, which is what I see all too frequently. Yeah. Um, and you also mentioned in the nine rules principles of just like you really don't need a backup tight end. You don't need a backup quarterback if you have a top 10 quarterback, but there is uh, there is value in taking like a Pat Mahomes uh, or somebody like that who might have the potential of like having that Carson Wentz breakout where he turned into like this uh, MVP candidate last year. Because I had Cam as my quarterback. I drafted him like the third or fourth round, I think. And I was pretty, I, I felt pretty good about it. And Cam was really good. But Wentz was on my bench for a while. And he, I kept monitoring. And I remember, I think the Eagles and the Panthers played on a Thursday night game. And I was saddled with the situation of like, who do I start in this game? Because I like I, I hated that feeling. So I understand the idea of like not drafting two quarterbacks and or two re- having two quarterbacks in the roster that are both really good. And I ended up just going, you know what? I just need to pick somebody and stop like racking my brain all week, uh, whether or not who I should start between Newton and Wentz, because it was just driving me nuts. Uh, and I was going to feel sick about whoever I sat either way. So I just went with Wentz down the stretch. And then, of course, he got hurt. So then I could just play Cam the rest of the year. But um, I don't like that feeling. I hate having to th- go back and forth on that every week. Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, and here's the reality. Most people would tell you that's like a high society problem, right? How do I choose between Deshaun Watson and Tom Brady this week? The answer is (laughs) most likely, here's what I would say, is at the beginning of the season, it is okay to roster two quarterbacks that have a lot of upside. Like if I'm in my draft this year and I take Patrick Mahomes and Derek Carr, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with it in the sense that I think both of them could be top 10 fantasy quarterbacks this year. It's also possible. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I think both Derek Carr and Patrick Mahomes could be top 10 quarterbacks this year. It is not a guarantee, though. Yeah. Now, if it comes to fruition where both quarterbacks are weekly starters, what I tell people is, especially when you are past your bye week, is trade one of those quarterbacks. Now, there are certain leagues where holding on to quarterbacks, multiple quarterbacks, is a little bit more beneficial in order to basically play defense. In ESPN, we play in a often discuss league called the war room league mm-hmm. it's 16 teams and you know you get to buy weeks and there are eight teams or six teams on a buy in a couple of weeks during the nfl schedule so you just do the math that brings it down from 32 to 26 available starting options maybe 24 you have 16 teams which means that you know there are people that are going to be have to dealing with a quarterback buy i don't mind rostering a second quarterback 
so that I can prevent somebody in my league, maybe I'm playing that person, from having that quarterback available to them during the bye week, during my you know, during his or her quarterback's bye week. But what I'm saying is this. Generally speaking, when you have two quarterbacks on your roster that are fantasy relevant every single week, it's a bit redundant and a little bit of a misallocation of resources. Once you have a quarterback that you feel really good about, whether it's a clear-cut advantage or just like, you know, again, I don't know that, that you know, the, the difference between Carson Wentz or Cam Newton this year is going to be distinguishable. But if you feel like both can be started each week, choose one and maybe try to trade the other and pick up a running back or a tight end or a wide receiver or someone else that can play for you each and every Sunday. How many quarterbacks do you think right now are distinguishable and are going to be like, oh, yeah, this is worth this is worthwhile. They they do enough. Um, to separate themselves from the pack because it does seem like everybody has a good quarterback now. Right, that's the thing is that distinguishable at the moment right now. I think there's a you know there's an elite tier of Brady and Rodgers unto itself at the very top of the draft. Then you have players like Russell Wilson and Cam Newton and Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson, Drew Brees that are going to be right there in that mix. But you know, distinguishable, like yeah, there are going to be a lot of other guys that for now are indistinguishable from each other, but could emerge in a different tier, right? Like Matt Ryan is two years removed from one of the greatest quarterback seasons of all time. Mm-hmm. Who's to say that Matt Ryan couldn't be a top ten quarterback this year? It's not a guarantee, but he could be. He might not be. But him versus, let's say, I'm just making this up here, Jimmy Garoppolo. Like I don't know how you can tell me at this moment. One of them is definitely unquestionably decidedly better than the other um it's you know you can have an opinion it's important to have an opinion but um you know i don't think that you know if you if you aren't quite convinced that one would be better than the other it's okay for right now to hedge a little bit Mm -hmm. and have both or have one plus a second quarterback on your roster that's somebody else yeah um it's gonna be interesting to see how that all unfolds but brady scares me just because i mean you have the edelman four game suspension you have a really thin wide receiver core like gronkowski flirted with retirement they lost a lot in the running back spot like i don't know it's interesting that you still have him in that top tier because i mean we shouldn't be doubting tom brady at this point but um i don't know there is something where if i was drafting a quarterback this year and brady was there in like round two or three i would still probably stay away i i would be terrified of having brady yeah i mean round two or three for sure i'd stay away from him but uh yeah i disagree uh you know i, I don't see it nearly the same way that you do but that's okay that's part of what fantasy football is all about okay so give me some of the, like let's look in your crystal ball like who do you think at the end of this year is going to end up being like a fantasy superstar that we're not thinking about right now well i'd say this let me just start by this is it's pretty rare that there's a player that we're not talking about that's going to be a fantasy superstar. Okay. There is an incredible level of, of coverage in fantasy football. It, and it's one of the great things about the industry. There are so many people who I respect more than I can probably properly articulate that cover fantasy football. And, and they scour, scour tape and information and outlets and websites endlessly to gather information. Like I'll give you an example of a guy. I think Evan Silva from Roto World is one of the best fantasy football minds, period. Yeah. You'd be awesome. hard pressed to th- he's great. And you'd be p- hard pressed to think of somebody that Evan Silva isn't aware of or hasn't at some point mentioned, whether written, tweeted, articulated through a podcast, video, you name it. That's just the way this league is covered now. It's a good thing for us because it shows how much interest there is in fantasy football. So I don't want to sit here and tell you that there's a guy that no one's talking about whatsoever that I think is going to be really good because people are talking about everybody. 
But in terms of like true, honest to goodness sleepers, or like guys that are being, you know, that are lesser drafted, here's what I would say. Um, you know, I think that Andy Dalton, again, this, this is deep. Andy, Andy Dalton, Dalton has shown. Okay. Shown, you know, the point is this, but hold on. Don't, don't react like that and make it seem like I'm, you know, pounding the table for Andy Dalton. The point is a player that no one is saying for sure will be a top 25 or, you know, a top 15 quarterback. Uh-huh. we've seen it from Andy Dalton before. Like, why yeah. is it so crazy to think that a guy that was third in the NFL in passing touchdowns from week three on last year could not be a top 15 quarterback in fantasy? What I think is likely? No. Is it possible? Sure. Of course it is. Like, that's how fantasy football works. Is it totally nuts to think that, you know, like Garrett Blunk could score nine touchdowns this year for the Lions? Not yeah. totally nuts, no. Would I want him as a starting running back for me? Definitely not. You know, I mean, but carry on there are good. so many. I love what I've seen from him, and I'm a big carry on guy. He seems like someone yeah, who I like could have the Kareem Hunt. He could have the Kareem sure. Hunt year. Is there anybody in that category who makes sense to you, of like the uh, the guy who ends up turning into a running back superstar, like drafted not a first round guy, but a later round who just gets an opportunity and like blows up? I'm not quite there yet, and here's why: okay. is last year we used we say who's this year's Alvin Kamara or Kareem Hunt? Yeah which is another way of presuming that each year there is a Kareem Hunt or Alvin Kamara, mm-hmm. right? There's not. Yeah. Like, who, who did Alvin Kamara or Kareem Hunt replace from 2016? Like, who was it that those guys were the model of from the year before, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in the same way that there isn't that – just, that just doesn't happen. It's just, it's just the reality of it. Yeah. So I think that it's important to note that, yes, I like Royce Freeman, who is also a third-round pick, who I Love think Freeman, could be yeah. a top-20 running back this year. I don't agree, though, that it's a certainty that some player will emerge as an out-of-nowhere running back that will finish as one of the five best in fantasy. Okay. Um, it, it is interesting. I think uh, the Bengals, like, what you, I, I, when I jumped out at the Andy Dalton thing, it wasn't a, oh, no way. It's a, I was the guy who was banging the Andy Dalton is actually pretty good drum two years ago. And, um, I felt like he's a guy that like, when you have a, when you surround him with a above average supporting cast and he has like 130 pass rating, he's thrown a cough that, um, one of their tight ends and when Tyler Eifert healthy, that's a big thing. And now he has Joe Mixon who I feel like, even though he's not a rookie is someone who, um, as gross as it is, could become like a really big player for them and like have this breakout thing. Um, AJ Green, uh, I'm a little concerned about Jalen Ramsey talking about how washed he was last year in the that fight. So maybe I am. Maybe Father Time is catching up with AJ Green. Maybe, maybe not. But um, John Ross, year two, maybe he breaks through. Um, I don't know. I like the Andy Dalton thing, and I think uh, there are a lot of guys who feel like they could end up being big, uh, big time players for them in fantasy. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not. But you know, just to be clear, I'm not. Like, I'm really. I don't. I don't have like this strong feeling about Andy Dalton this year the point yeah. is simple that like you can make a case for somebody and you know i thought that mina kimes who's one of the best there is had a really interesting term that i think applies to a lot of quarterbacks and i think it, it, she, she wrote a piece about tyrod taylor last year and kind of equated your opinion of tyrod taylor is somewhat of a rorschach test right it's an interpretive mm-hmm. measure of a quarterback and you can see players through different lenses, which is often the case in fantasy football, right? I mean, a couple of years ago, Blake Bortles was tremendous in fantasy football. He just stunk in real life. Mm. Last year, he was better in real life, but wasn't as good in fantasy football. So, you know, we have different prisms that we view quarterbacks through. From a simple, could he get me 16 or 18 fantasy points per game um, prism? Sure, there's something there with Andy Dalton. Is it difficult to parse between that 
a situation where it's like you have the fantasy football mind of like, oh, they're good for fantasy, but they're bad for their team. Does that get more difficult the more in the weeds you get in fantasy football, differentiating between like a good player versus a good fantasy player? I don't know about that, only because I do believe there's so much crossover between the two, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there are so many things that apply to fantasy that also apply to quote-unquote real football and vice versa, right? I mean, Adam Schefter breaks a story that, you know, whatever it is, the Giants are trading for, I'm just making this up, Pitta Bridgewater, okay? Mm-hmm. Just, again, just totally making stuff up here. Yeah, that makes sense for them, um, actually, yeah. But yeah. go ahead, yeah. <laughs> but still, all right, let's say he breaks that. Uh-huh. You know what the first question is going to be, to me at least? It won't be, hey, does Teddy Bridgewater make the Giants a playoff contender? It's going to be, hey, does this impact his value in fantasy football? Does it impact Odell Beckham Jr.'s value in fantasy football? Does it impact Saquon Barkley's value in fantasy football? I'm just telling you that's how people interpret information now these days, which is certainly good for our business, and I'm very happy about that. I think it's worth keeping in mind that like people are smitten by fantasy football, and I think with good reason. And I think the crossover between fantasy and, again, air quotes here, real football is something that's good for everybody. Does the legalization of gambling change anything for fantasy football in the future? I don't know about that. I think, but I don't know that it changes anything necessarily. But one thing mm-hmm. that I would say is that basically fantasy football, well, fantasy football has done a lot of things. But one thing it helped him, uh, helped the league do is a expand its audience. Right. So you're watching Thursday night football and it's the Chargers and it's the Ravens. I have no idea whether Chase has any interest in either one of those players. I have no mm-hmm. idea if that's the case for you or not or any other one of those teams. But you might, if you play in enough fantasy leagues, have Michael Crabtree on one of your rosters. And all of a sudden it's Thursday night and you're, tra- you're choosing between, you know, Parks and Rec reruns or a fantasy, uh, you know, a Thursday night football game between two teams and you're from a different city. You might say, no, I want to watch. I want to see if Michael Crabtree gets me 14 points this week. Yeah. Or I want to see if he can score a touchdown. So I think that in the same way that fantasy football built this or helped build a, an even more robust audience for the NFL, I think sports gambling and sports betting will do the same thing, right? I think that, you know, you may not have a vested interest in whether the Bucks beat the Falcons this weekend, but you might have an interest in whether or not they come within three points. And if, you know, Jameis Winston hooks up with Mike Evans for a touchdown, even though they're down by 10 points with 30 seconds to go, they're not going to win the game, but all of a sudden they, you know, they're down by three. Like that might interest you. So you're going to stay for that. So I think it has a chance to help grow the overall football audience more and more. And I think that the more people that like football, the more we'll play fantasy football. Yeah, I agree. I think it's gonna be fun. It's it's good for the league and good for uh, expanding the reach. I agree. Um, Field, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time. No problem, man. Glad to do it. All right. Well, we can find you on ESPN. We can listen to you on the Fantasy Focus podcast where you uh, co-host the podcast with your dad. You do that a lot. Matthew Barry is now your dad. Just got to make sure he people know, you know, people yeah. know. <laughs> uh, exactly. Well, I appreciate it. We can find you on Twitter at Field Yates. We can listen to you on the podcast and read your stuff and watch your video on the nine rules uh, for your fantasy football draft and um, how to go about it. So, Field, I appreciate you taking the time and good luck this season. All right. Thanks, Chase. Good to connect with you. All right. Welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast. My guest today, Beth Moens of Monday Night Football, College Football. You've heard her for years and years and years. And Beth, I, I'm excited to uh, have you on the podcast today. How, are, how is everything going? I am excited as well, Chase. Things are going pretty well. Uh, summer is uh, 
winding down rapidly and just um, excited to be a part of uh, a Raiders preseason and the NFL preseason and um, just love this time of year getting ready for football. How difficult is it to go back and forth between college and pro? Do, would you prefer to have like just a, like not a beat, but just kind of being able to focus on one or the other, or is it fun to kind of get to experience both sides of things? You know, I, I think it's actually been um, a positive to be in both of those worlds because, you know, calling college football, you get, you get a head start on some of the rookies and the young guys as they progress into the NFL. And then vice versa, you know, you can go back and do a college game and you have a reference on where some of the old college guys are in the NFL and how they're doing. And, and so you can kind of cross-reference and, and use information from college in your pro game and, and you can use information from the NFL in your college games. What Do you, do you have a, a favorite? Do you prefer calling college games or do, NFL games? Do you, or does it just, they're both fun? You know what? It, it doesn't really matter to me. I think the, the, um, the, the big difference for football, whether it's college or the NFL, is just the fact that it's one game a week. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. a, there's a buildup and an anticipation and sort of a, a preparation that you go through throughout the week as you're gathering information and watching film and, and then arriving on campus and talking with coaches and players and interacting with fans that just kind of, you know, makes it special. It's, it's a, it's a different feel certainly on a college campus on a Saturday. Um, but there, there's also a tremendous energy in a pro city on a Sunday morning and a Sunday afternoon when you arrive at the stadium. Is the prep kind of the same, uh, depending on uh, whether or not you're covering a college game that week or a pro game? Does it differentiate between whether or not like to get more access for one or the other? Or what is the week like uh, for an NFL game and the week like for a college game? You know, the preparation is, is quite similar. Um, the challenge uh, nowadays is you have access to so much information online um, mm. that you have to kind of weed through and sift through a lot of information to, you know, determine, okay, what's the most important, you know, in a close game, what are the big stories? What's the, what's the strategy that's going on? Um, but the preparation is very similar. You're, you're getting uh, news and notes and stats from the schools. Uh, you can follow along, you know, online press conferences during the week, uh, follow local beat writers during the week and listen to radio shows in in local towns during the week so you get sort of a feel uh for what the big news is and the big stories are within their fan base um and and that can help you prepare for the game as well and then uh you know the actual face-to-face is quite similar too you'll you'll meet with the head coach and the coordinators and and you'll probably get a chance to talk to a few of the key players and and so you you can add to your storylines and your storytelling through that who are you excited about talking with this fall? Um, I know I'm sure you know your schedule and a lot of the games you'll be covering. You you talked about like uh, before we got started uh, covering at, uh, Georgia and the Austin P game, and uh, like you'll obviously talk with Kirby and guys like that. Um, is there anybody you've like circled on the calendar? Where you're like, ooh, I'm excited to talk to this person this fall. Well, I, I think what, what's interesting maybe that fans don't realize is um, we don't know a lot of our schedule ahead of time. Um, if oh, you're doing okay. if you're doing uh, Monday night or Sunday night football, you know your schedule. If you are doing a full 
CBS or Fox during the year. Uh, you may know a month or two in advance, uh, mm-hmm. but a lot of the college games, all, all we know are our first couple of weeks. And then it's sort of wait and see who's winning, who's doing well, what games become bigger um, or less important as the season progresses. So, you know, we know we're in Georgia uh, the first weekend, and that's real exciting for me. You know, even growing up in the Northeast, uh, obviously SEC football is, is special, and Georgia is one of those places, you know, between the hedges. There's so much history there. Um, I, I'm excited. to. I, I've never, you know, been to Sanford to call a game before. I've, I've been on campus for just about every other sport. So um, Athens is always a, a cool place to go to. And then I, I know week two will be the Monday night football game. Um, you know, yeah. we'll be in Detroit for the Lions and Jets. And, and you've got, um, you know, the uh, Matt Patricia um, actually is an upstate New Yorker, just like me. So I'm mm-hmm. excited to see how he does as the new coach at the Lions. And um, it certainly looks right now that we're, we're going to get possibly Sam Darnold as the starting quarterback for the Jets. So that'll be a huge yeah. week one storyline for us and then um you know i think it's important for fans to understand we we often don't find out where we're going the next week until all of saturday's games are done and we might get a an email or a phone call on sunday afternoon sunday night okay next week you're you're going to florida or you're going to ucla and it's sort of a a scramble on sunday night monday morning to sort of get your ducks in a row and get your travel and all that um, and, and start your preparation. Okay. Um, so you brought up Monday night football. All right, like, do you think this year, like, what are some things you learned from doing it last year? I mean, you opened up, uh, in Denver against the chargers and, um, with Rex Ryan, you won't have Rex this time. I think it's Brian Greasy. Um, mm-hmm. what did you learn or what did you gather like going into Monday night football last year? That's going to prepare you, uh, to make things a little bit easier. Or like, what are like the whole Monday night football experience? Like what are yeah. uh, some things that you experienced last year that, um, it, it's not going to kind of catch you by surprise, uh, this year. You know, Chase, I think going through it the first time, um, no matter what the job is, you just, you get a sense for what to expect and you, you certainly feel, a lot more comfortable the next time around. And I, I think the biggest mm-hmm. thing for me was um, I, I really didn't do anything differently in terms of my preparation, in terms of building uh, some team chemistry. You know, I, I like to call our crew a team. We're all there to, to help each other out and to push each other to get better. And, and so I didn't change anything to get ready for Monday night football. And, and that was, that was big for me going in and, and I'll do the same thing this year. It's a lot of preparation that, you know, started in the spring when we found out who our teams were. And, and that's the nice thing about having the first game of the year, you, you know, well in advance. And so your preparation is, it, you have to do that and, and to get ready. Um, and then, you know, I think the big thing, is, you know, don't worry about what, around the game once they on football and uh and brian's a pro and and i'm really looking forward to working with him and laura rutledge is is going to be uh, down on the sideline with us and and the same thing for laura she's a pro and and is real excited about this opportunity to be a part of you know one of the great franchises in television history 
what was your favorite part about calling Monday Night Football last year? Was it the missed kick that got called back and they had to redo it? Was that the <laughs> coolest part? <laughs> Poor kid. He was, a, he was a hero for a little oh, bit, and then yeah. uh, they called it back. It was so sad. You know, I think um, I like to say when we, when we come, to, come to your town to call a game, we want five things. We want, uh, we want a, a flavor of your town, a little, little taste of what you're all about. We want some fun fan interaction. We want a competitive game. We want a close finish. And then we want a safe, swift journey home. And, and we got all of those on Monday Night Football. And, and, and we, live for, we live for the fourth quarter. And if we've got a tight game and, and we've got a play at the end to decide it, um, that, that's as good as you can hope for. And we got that. Um, but just the drama of, of Monday night and a national TV audience. And to be a part of that was, was spectacular. So that, that fourth quarter, um, you know, was something you dream about as a kid and, and to, to be a part of that was, was pretty sweet. What's the hardest part about being a play-by-play commentator? Oh, you know, it's a lot of talking, um, probably <laughs> yeah. two to 300 hours, uh, on, on the air, uh, throughout the course of the year. <laughs> Um, and so just, um, you know, probably the hardest part is just maintaining your focus throughout. Um, you know, there are so many things that, that, um, can take you away from the game. You've got a lot going on in your headset. You've got graphics coming at you and replays coming at you. And, you know, the real challenge and the real fun, really the excitement of, of that is, is, maintaining your poise and um, embracing those kinds of moments and, and making the most of them. Yeah. And I think it's uh it, it, it seems like it's one of those things where I'm sure you've experienced this over the years of like people, like I think a lot of sports fans think they could do something like that and they shout at their televisions and they'll say things and they're like, Oh, I can do that. <laughs> it's like, how much do you have to put up with that? Especially from your family and friends of like, Oh, you get to do this job that like the coolest, it's one of the coolest jobs and that you can have. And everybody's a, a professional. People, yeah. <laughs> everybody's a sports fan. Right. Oh, you know, you, you just kind of, you take it with a grain of salt and, and you have a lot of fun with it. And, um, um, you know, my family and friends have, have been great over the years and wonderful supporters. And most of the fans are awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, the ones that aren't, you just kind of shake your head and move on. Uh, but it, it is a, it is a terrific job. And, and that's the thing that I remember every day when I get up, you know, if, if you're, you're passionate about what you do, you, you never work a day in your life and it never feels like a job. And, and I've been lucky enough to, you know, have that dream when I was little and, and figure out a way to get paid for it. So you've always wanted to go into play by play commentary since you were a I, kid. I always knew, yeah. Ever since I was a little kid, you know, I kind of realized, all right, the analyst, I'm, I'm probably not going to be that superstar athlete or the former coach, mm-hmm. you know, but that other guy, I, I could, I could try and do that job. And, and I grew up in Syracuse and, um, you know, most folks are familiar with all the great play-by-play announcers that came out of Syracuse University in the Newhouse School. And so I I had tremendous role models right there in my backyard growing up and and followed the course of their careers. And, and, um, you know, I I also kind of knew that uh, Syracuse, uh, Tarico and Marv Albert and Bob Costas, Dave Pash, Dave O'Brien, McDonough, just tons of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so I, you know, uh, there, there, yeah. there aren't a whole lot of women that have been doing this. And I kind of figured as a, as a kid, well, if they're looking for a woman, you know, to do women's sports, maybe that's a foot in the door. And then I can, you know, try and figure out what other things they'll let me do. Yeah. Um, did you ever think I'm going to call a Monday night football game one day? Was that on your mind or like, when did that start to creep in? Like, Oh, I like, I'm close. I can do this. You know, when you dream, you got to dream big. If, if they don't yeah. scare me a little bit, then they're not big. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I was, I was at the world series and the NBA finals. So <laughs> there's still a lot out there to shoot for. Um, and, uh, you know, you just, you, you enjoy all those amazing moments and, and it was pretty special to be a part of Monday night football. And I, I look forward to it again. So if you did not focus on college, like it, it does feel like, uh, I mean, if you could call like anything else, is there another sport or another league that you're interested in, um, doing more, co- uh, play by play commentary for, or is football your favorite? You know, football is, is always special. Basketball, I actually played in college, and, and my dad mm-hmm. was a coach. That's sort of, um, you know, running home to mama, if you will. That's that's what I grew up in. Um, mm-hmm. And and I love calling the, you know, the women's softball, the women's college World Series is, is one of my favorite events in the world to work. Um, and, you know, I've been fortunate over the years. I, I love calling soccer. Um, and... Uh, you know, I, I in, w- would love a shot at a Yankee game and, and, and a, uh, a men's World Cup. And, um, you know, there, there's all kinds of different things uh, uh, that, you know, golf is another one. I've done a little bit of golf. That would be pretty sweet to work on a major. So mm-hmm. you got to keep you got to keep got to keep dreams out there. Got to keep shooting for stuff and see what happens. Is there a sport that's more difficult to do play-by-play that people may not necessarily think is the case, but it's like, oh, this is actually, like, you have to, I mean, golf, obviously, is very different doing play-by-play for golf than other things. Is that something that you have to just kind of, like, how do you prepare for that, knowing, like, oh, this is a different, do you have to change your approach from sport to sport? Um, You may not change your preparation, but there are different ways to do game boards, and there are different um sort of cadences and what we like to call contour and flow um obviously there's not as much actual play by play in golf and tennis there's mm-hmm. a lot more commentary between shots um so there's there's little differences like that um hockey is hockey is a big challenge because you constantly have guys jumping over the boards coming on the ice so yeah it's a constant the lineups are constantly changing and guys can end up anywhere on the ice pretty much um at any Mm -hmm. given time and and most of the time your hockey commentators are way up high in the rafters so that that's probably Mm -hmm. one that's that's really challenging I love it though because they speak so fast, but they're still very clear in yeah. their messaging. Like NHL and NBC, it's one of the wildest things to listen to because they oh, are yeah. just on top of it. You can't take a breath. Like I, I don't know how they do it. Like hockey is got to be the most difficult in my mind to commentate, yeah. just because it never stops. And like you said, people hopping in and out different lines and all of that, and and then of course the names, uh, obviously a little bit difficult. Yes. Um, to yeah. Um, have you ever gotten that point where you're like, even with all your prep, you're like, Oh, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. I'm going to guess. And we're going to see what happens. I hope the internet's not paying this close attention to this (laughs) this last name. 
that is actually one thing that you can never get away with because there's somebody always listening out there that will uh, will catch you, and, and then your your credibility is con- is immediately in question if you can't nail the name. So that's one thing we do. We spend a lot of time with SIDs and with you know. Mm-hmm. Somebody's parent will text and oh, you know, you guys have been saying it wrong the last two years. It's actually pronounced like this, and and so we 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 do take a lot of pride in making sure we get those those right. And and I actually on all my game boards, I will spell out everything phonetically. Really? Um, okay. Yes, absolutely. Everything gets spelled out phonetically. Um, if anybody on our crew is saying it wrong, you know, that's a, an immediate correction because we don't want anybody around us saying it wrong and that may tip us off to say it wrong so yeah that's a that's a big deal <laughs> i imagine so but that's a it's a lot of names especially when you're covering so many different sports um yeah. that you're that that's a lot um so what does the future hold for you like what are what 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 do you have in store uh over the next couple years like i know you said there's a lot of like you have the world cup and other things like that that are on your bucket list but like what are you how what do you see um on the forefront uh for the next couple years for you you know i i love doing what i'm doing i've you know got a nice little routine of uh of some some nfl and some college football in the fall and then you know swing right into basketball season and finish it up uh, the end of the school year with the uh, with softball and the women's college world series. So um, I, I I love doing that, and and you know you you want to um, try and find uh, you know you know carve out a niche for yourself in different sports, and and so hopefully you know I'll, I'll get to I'll get to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah, and I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for Monday Night Football next week, and now uh, more reason to listen to Georgia and Austin P in a couple weeks because <laughs> um, I had I did not have that on my calendar. Uh, yeah, let's watch uh, Georgia Austin P. But uh, now now I have to. <laughs> oh, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Chase. I appreciate it. Yeah, this was great. Um, uh, this is uh, good luck this season, and uh, we will have to talk in soon. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often and also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.